This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Drinkag1.com slash surf will help you achieve your goals in this new year, whether it be health-related, happiness-related, productivity-related. AG1 is fuel for life. It makes me feel better with pre and probiotics, naturally occurring enzymes that bolster digestion and nutrient absorption, and then it has magnesium, which regulates all-day energy by supporting energy production in our cells, and it's all sourced from nutrient-dense whole foods. It's like having a nutritional insurance policy, assuring that I cover my nutritional bases first thing in the morning. And it's just one scoop mixed with cold water that takes 20 seconds to mix and ingest. And it's delivered to my door monthly, which means I simplify my life without having to go shopping or keep track of various supplements. It's one thing that I drink that has everything that I need for foundational nutrition, gut health, brain functioning, and immune health support. Research it for yourself, but do it through drinkag1.com surf. You will support us and you will get five free travel packs and a year supply of vitamin D. Plus, there's a 90-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to risk. Just one big unlock for the life that you want to live. My wife and I are three years into drinking it daily. We are grateful for it. So join us at drinkag1.com surf. Enjoy. I told this story over on Spit with Scott Bass back in October, but I'm gonna tell it here again today because it's the best way to introduce today's guest. 
I was at our surfboard industry trade show, the boardroom show, and I was talking to somebody, but I could see that over in my periphery, there was a couple that was standing, kind of glancing over, almost trying to get my attention. But then when I would look over and kind of focus my eye contact towards them, they would look away. So I wasn't quite sure if they knew me or maybe knew somebody that I was talking to, but eventually my conversation ended and the wife of that couple approached and explained that her husband is a podcast listener and he just wanted to say hi. So we exchanged our pleasantries and when I asked more about them, their work, and what they were doing in California, the husband slowly admitted that he's in a band and that they'll be back in a couple of months to tour on the East Coast. Of course, I probed further and the husband really tried to play it all down, but his wife, Jody, indulged me and shared the name of the band and a little bit about the context. His name is Kean Egan and the band is a pop group called Westlife. I admitted that I was unfamiliar, but also admitted that I'm gonna look you up later. I wanna listen to the music. They kind of laughed it off and they went on their way, but truly I pulled out my phone and I Googled it right there to find out that Westlife was formed in Dublin in 1998 and has 11 number one albums, 16 number one singles, 34 top 50 singles, and over 55 million records sold. They are the holders of four Guinness World Records, including the top selling album group act of the 21st century for the UK. When I mentioned this story on air to Scott Bass, listener DMs poured in in disbelief that I hadn't heard of Westlife and saying that they'd actually love to hear from Kian and hear about how he found surfing. So that's what today is all about. Kian was on holiday with his family in Barbados when we eventually caught up. And uh, so that's where I'll start you off here today. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy this, my conversation with Kian Egan. days yeah how are you how's, Bar how's life in Barbados yeah pretty good to be honest um, we've been here now nearly a month we kind of came over just before Christmas and uh, just kind of settled back in now the kids have started school there on Monday so we're just settling back in kind of like everyday normal life here now and kind of out of the holiday mode back into kind of I suppose everyday mode if you want to call it that but no it's really good escape in winter is it like a every year is it a family tradition uh since covid uh, uh is how it kind of came about we we've been coming here for a very long time myself and my wife got married here our first holiday was here nearly 20 years ago so um then when our first child was born we started staying in a really cool little spot just by a surf break we were staying up on the West Coast all the time, but I found myself just driving up and down all the time. So um, as the years rolled on, we found a really cool spot. And then we came here every January, kind of like just escaping winter style thing. And then since COVID, we came over for January, February, March and April. And we've done it every year since. Uh, we found a, a little teacher for our three kids, a lovely teacher for our three kids. And they go there every day and 
we just kind of escaped that really harsh winter because in we're we're in Ireland apart from that all the time. Yeah. So it's perfect balance. That's amazing. Are you able to uh are you trying to maintain work while you're there or are you able to shut off and just kind of go into vacation mode? <clears throat> well, generally speaking, this time of year work is normally quiet. So okay. Uh, this time last year I left my wife and three kids here and I went out to Asia for the month of February. But generally speaking, you know, we kind of always take the first few months of the year away from work and just kind of like work normally dies down. And then as time goes on, you know, kind of builds into the summer and then all the way into the winter and stuff like that. But um, the last kind of like two years have been pretty hectic for us work wise. So we're kind of coming to the end of that tour now that, that we're just doing. So it's kind of like, you know, just slowing down from that and but the last few years it's, it's worked out well so yeah, we take so, it as it comes really you know it's not it's not one of them scenarios where every year you can guarantee that we're going to be here for you know the four or five months of the year but if we can make it happen we make it happen good it sounds like you've got it figured out i just think about i have a small percentage of the obligations and opportunities that you have and I find yeah. myself myself still spread so thin that I don't actually take advantage of vacation and time off. And even if my wife and I schedule something, I will add in a podcast or two and then I'll be answering emails. And it's like, I find myself on vacation, not actually able to shut off. Yeah, I would imagine from, from your world, obviously, you know, listen to all the different podcasts that you do. So you're like, you're spinning out three or four weeks. So that's got to be tough. And, you know, I often hear you talking about it as well, where you're like, well, you want to keep it going because you want to build the listenership. You don't want to lose the listenership. You know, in my world, it's very different because we kind of, you know, we approach it like in an album cycle. We make a record, you know, which is just, takes a certain amount of time. And then we tour the record and then we go again, you know, and that's kind of been our kind of system since we started all the way back in 1999. So it's very different. You know, I think with you, it's, I would imagine it's way more full-time. I mean, really what we do is quite part-time, I would have to say, you know, especially now we have huge control over how we do it. You know, in the early years, when we first started, we were very much under control of a record label. We were very much under control of like, you know, management going on. You have to keep it going. You have to put a record out this year. You have to tour it this year. So it was never ending. Um, but, you know, we were young, we had the energy, it was very, very different. Whereas now we're our own bosses, you know, we're telling management how we want to run it, you know, we're deciding what we want to do. There's 10 children between the four of us. So, you know, we're not going to just pack up and go on the road for two years and, and never see them. So the way we actually do it is we would do, unless it's unless it's in Europe and around where, where we live, uh, we won't really leave our families for any more than three to four weeks at a time. You know, okay. and then we'll come back for three or four weeks and then we'll go again. So we kind of get a really nice kind of rhythm going to it where you're having family time, but you're doing work at the same time. So, you know, like I said, we're we're in a very fortunate situation to be running the way we're doing it. Yeah, it took a while to get there for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. Just as a side note, what were your thoughts on the boardroom show? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. You know, I mean, like I said, when I met you guys that day, um, there's nothing like that on our side of the world, you know, yeah. even down to surf shops. Uh, I mean, you guys have the riches when it comes to the surf industry over there. There's just not a lot of stuff for us to kind of go and, you know, spend a few hours looking at surfboards or looking at new materials or, you know, I was even at the Greenock um, kind of area and I was asking them about the fins and, you know, they had this new hatchet fin and I was 
you know, asking all the information about that and being able to have that conversation, you know, just that whole vibe. Um, I think my wife loved all the, the old school cars and down the back and stuff like that, you know, but just to spend a few hours being able to just walk around looking at surfboards and looking at surf brands and all the different things that are coming out. And, you know, we were talking to one really cool guy who was like, you know, making really good packaging that was, you know, eco-friendly. Yeah. All of the all of this mad different stuff, you know, the, the new wetsuits, the Kobe Plus wetsuits, just there was just so much to kind of do and so much to see. Uh, so, yeah, for me, I was kind of like a little bit of a fanboy walking around kind of going, oh, this is cool. Because we just don't have that back in Ireland. You know, we like there's probably two surf shops, three surf shops in Ireland that are that are a consistent, proper, you know, surf shop that's taken over. Everything is online now, which yeah. is great in one sense, but it's kind of lost its vibe of going into the surf shop and talking to the owner or you know talking about surfboards or learning about surfboards learning about shapers all that type of stuff so um yeah it, it was definitely the boardroom show was really cool i definitely recommend anybody to go and see it good i'm glad to hear that um did anybody recognize you as a celebrity in that environment no <laughs> no isn't isn't that nice <laughs> well yeah i mean like it's not really something i pay a huge amount of attention to full stop um you know, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm 43 years of age. The whole idea of being a, a celebrity is isn't really something that I think about on an often basis. You know, I think I I more think about kind of you know what we do and you know the performance element and you know the creative element, all that type of stuff. I'm more in that kind of vein. I'm not really an Instagram guy or you know you know I put up stuff on Instagram about about what we're doing and work, but I'm not like on it all the time and posting all the time. I'm very kind of more backgroundy, chilled, relaxed about the whole scenario, but love what I do and very passionate about what I do. Um, so for me, like, you know, walk, I mean, I've spent lots of time in America as well. And, you know, our band have never had the success in America, unfortunately, that we have in the rest of the world. So it's kind of been normal for me to kind of feel like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think as well, like, you know, um, our band, we've had a lot of success in, in regions, but there's lots of regions that we haven't had success in as well, because I don't know, pop culture is very different to, you know, maybe rock culture or bands like that. You know, it's it's kind of like the record labels give you a big push in every country at the start. Some countries really latch on and some countries don't. And then when they look at, you know, the next cycle with the next record, they either push hard again or they back off. And, you know, they kind of pick their top 10 acts of the year and they push hard on those acts. So it is, it's kind of different in a yeah. weird way, you know? I've always thought though, that's the perfect level of celebrity. Like to be able to um, have access to the things that you want to have access to and to be able to kind of design the life the way that you want to live it, but then live in anonymity when you want to as well. Yeah. You know, like maybe you get recognized totally in an airport like, occasionally, uh, but you can go to the boardroom show and live in anonymity. Absolutely. Even Even like if I'm in a restaurant somewhere and, you know, a super A-list celebrity walks in and just the whole restaurant swings its head and you yeah. know, people shuffling around, get the camera phones out. Oh, I would hate that. That would be like the worst thing ever to me. You know, I'll, I'll never forget being asked a question by, by a producer one day saying, you know, if you could do it all without celebrity, would you do it? And like my answer was 100% yes. You know, yeah. like it's not about that. It's Like I said, it's about the creativity. It's about the making something out of nothing for me. You know, like the idea of, kind of like starting with nothing and then ending up back in the day with a CD, you know, with 
an album and artwork and you know the songs and the track list and it's the same now most of our business is live now so now it's about you know the production of the show the the lighting rig the set list you know all the different elements that that happens that makes it a pop concert because essentially that's what we are we're a pop act so you know it's all those different elements putting that together to kind of like create this thing that people come and go well i spent my 50 bucks to come and see this show and it was money well spent you know that that's kind of like my take on it all yeah amazing um so where'd you grow up exactly in ireland so yeah i grew up in uh, the west coast of ireland uh, a place called sligo a uh, small little kind of sleepy town small population um i grew up in a three-bedroom semi-detached house three brothers three sisters mom and dad you know my mom was a housewife my dad was a an electrician and uh yeah very kind of simple normal kind of upbringing um yeah so that's kind of where i came from um i mean when i think of sligo i actually think of music i feel like music is such an important part of the culture um how did you discover music or how did you discover an interest or talent for it my wife is running around in the background there that's okay (laughs) yeah so music so I have a, a a brother who's 10 years older than me and a sister who's 11 years older than me. And uh, I suppose growing up, music in my house was a big thing. Um, my elder brother, Gavin, he was in a rock band by the time he was probably 14 or 15, which would have made me four or five. So, you know, um, you know, he's lugging equipment in and out with his friends, drums, guitars, all that type of stuff, and and, and playing in a band. And then as the kind of years rolled on, he started teaching piano. So he started teaching me piano. Um, and then my brothers and sisters were all into music. My mom, funnily enough, she wasn't necessarily a big musician or anything like that, but she had us all in some sort of music lesson, whether it be a violin or clarinet or piano or guitar. We were all in some sort of a lesson. And then um, my dad was a big music fan, but as well, he didn't really he didn't really play music. He just listened to music, but he always had music on. It was all day, every day. So yeah, definitely I think Ireland has a huge musical culture and growing up there, as you get older, every pub you walk into, there's live music every night of the week, you know? Um, And my brother happened to be in one of those bands that was playing in the pub. So, you know, we'd go and see his gigs and stuff like that. And, you know, I I think as, as the years roll on, then by the time I was like 12 or 13, the idea started coming into my head about, you know, creating my own band and being in my own band. So um, I started up a few little rock bands when I was a, when I was a kid and, you know, kind of pushing my buddies, learn bass, learn drums, whatever it may be. And, you know, school musicals, kind of like school uh, talent shows, all that type of stuff started coming into effect from the age of like 12, 13. So music was always there. It was always part of kind of my upbringing, you know. And then obviously, you know, the older brothers as well, I, I had two older brothers, one younger, but the older brothers were both in bands. Then the middle brother, uh, Tom, he started playing in a rock band and he was playing bass. And, you know, I was getting all my musical influence from them guys, you know, just all the way down through the years. I was an 80s, 90s kind of like music baby. That That's kind of what I was brought up on, if you like. Did you, um, when did you start to uh, identify an interest in music or songwriting? Well, I think really like, you know, stepping on stage at, at kind of like 12, 13, playing guitar and singing, that was kind of like the whole idea of that was like, wow, this is, this is, this is it. You know, this is, this is pretty cool. I, I'm loving this feeling. I'm loving this vibe. 
So I kind of wanted to keep doing that. Um, and then, you know, as the years rolled on, I suppose by the time I was 13, 14, I kind of had like two or three kind of like rock punk, punk bands kind of going. You know, I grew up listening to Guns N' Roses, Metallica. My first record was a Metallica album, far, far, far away from what I actually do musically. But, um, you know, so it was very, it was very kind of rocky growing up and stuff like that. And actually the band that I'm in now, two of the guys came up to me in school and was like, listen, we're, we want to put this boy band together. What do you think about doing that? And I was like, boy band? What are you talking about? I'm not being in a boy band. I'm in like two or three rock bands. I can't be in a boy band. But then we started doing like musicals, like Grease and Annie and Oliver and all this type of stuff. So we we I ended up being one of the T-Birds in Grease. Uh, I was Kanicki. Okay. And that's kind of how Westlife all started. And um, we were the T-Birds in Greece and we went out on stage one night and, you know, we were doing things like Grease Lightning and Summer Loving and all these these songs. And the reaction that we were getting was just blow away, you know, because in Ireland, uh, well, I went to an all boys school. So the all boys school and the all girls school came together to put on the production of Greece. OK, so, so, you know, we were segregated. It was very different. So when when we actually got on stage and started doing that, it really kind of opened our eyes to what we could do. And at that point then, bands like the Backstreet Boys were starting to become really big around the world. And, you know, we were starting to pay attention to things like that. And I really liked the Backstreet Boys because I actually felt they had a bit of a rock element to it. The, their actual main producer, uh, who I met years later, a guy called Max Martin, who's a very famous songwriter, he is an absolute rock like a madman he loves all his heavy metal all that type of stuff so i could kind of feel that influence in their music even though it's you know there's just a few songs that has kind of like guitar riffs and stuff like that and so it kind of started opening my brain up to this idea of being in this boy band so um we went off then and we put the boy band together off the back of doing grease and it just snowballed out of nowhere just um we we made our own little record in our local town with a record shop we put that out we had like you know, a thousand people show up for our signing and things like that. And then all of a sudden we we got offered by a big manager back in Ireland to take us on. He put a support in the Backstreet Boys. And then a year later, we signed a record deal with Simon Cowell. Wow. You know, so it, it was just like out of nowhere. You know, Do that you age, the age of 12 to like 17, 18, it just felt like out of nowhere we were... You know, I was playing in these funny little bands into this Greece, into this boy band to boom, signing a record deal and, you know, starting releasing music all around the world and having major success. Yeah. So I'm wondering if your friends identified a business opportunity when they pitched the idea of, quote, a boy band. Because like when I think about like the way that you described Sligo and there's all this music happening and your brother has incredible talent, you know, like everybody around has incredible talent. So how do you rise above that? And it might've been their epiphany was like pop boy band comes with marketing. Like we can all yeah. start spinning that marketing machine and it stands out as different than the other music that's happening here. I'm curious what their thought was to make that pitch. You know, I, I don't necessarily think there was a major thought from a marketing perspective. I don't think any of us were in the headspace of, you know, what marketing was or, or how it was going to have an impact on what, what we did. I think it was just pure, like, this is what we want to do. I think the fact that we were kind of like stage kids in a weird way yeah. kind of brought that on a bit, you know, because we were all stage kids. That's the other thing I didn't say. We kind of all did. And when I say stage kids, we didn't go to like 
you know, a school or anything like that. We all kind of did little pieces here and there. So we'd been on stage from from young age. And I think, um, so just the idea of these bands were starting to blow up around the world. And it was like, oh, that there's a, there's a way of doing what we yeah. had done in Greece and stuff like that, but more as, as ourselves, rather than playing these characters are, are being these, you know, other people, if you like. Yeah. Fascinating. So it was more of that kind of way. At what point in the storyline did you discover surfing? Um, I didn't really start surfing until I was about 24. Oh, okay. So yeah, um, I was playing golf with my dad one day in, in a place called Strand Hill in County Sligo, which is where I live now. And the, the golf course goes across the ocean, you know, the, the seventh hole is a beautiful hole across the ocean. And I was playing golf with him one day and there was a load of people out surfing and stuff like that. And I was kind of like looking out at it going, wow, that looks really good. Like, I really want to give that a shot. And he was like, well, why don't you? And I was like, well, you know, I don't really know how to go about it. So he was like, well, why don't you pop down to that fella down in the village there? You know, a guy called Tom Hickey, a really old school legend. Uh, so I was like, yeah, good idea. So I popped into Tom. I said, listen, I'm really interested in, in a surf lesson. And he was like, sure, when do you want to go? And I was like, now, <laughs> you know, is now a good time? And he was like, yeah, yeah. So he says, you know, give me a half hour or whatever. We get the equipment out. So I pulled out the, the wetsuits and the big foamy boards and stuff like that. And, and out we went and, you know, he pushed me into a few waves and, straight away i was like wow this is amazing just just being in the water i think more than anything um it definitely felt like this is a real enjoyable pastime so then we, we came out of that lesson and i said to him you know when can i go again and he was like well next week and i was like well what about tomorrow you know and he was like oh okay my wife can take you out tomorrow so his wife simone took me out the next day and uh same thing again and i came in from that and i was like all right i want to book another lesson and he was like well, you know, I don't really have an awful lot of time. I said, all right, forget about a lesson. Give me that surfboard. Give me that wetsuit. And he was like, really? I don't really know if that surfboard's the right board for you. And I was like, well, doesn't matter. It'll do. You know, obviously having no clue about surfboards whatsoever, not having a notion as to what I was buying. But I ended up buying a, a decent surfboard in the end that I got back to. I never, I didn't actually learn to surf on it in the end because it was too small. But yeah. um, it was like an eight foot mini mile style board. Um, so I tried surfing on that for probably a good three to four months, but also, you know, I'm not there. I wasn't there all the time. I was kind of like flying away over to London for a few months, come back for a few days, over back, over back, that type of vibe. And, um, so I was splashing around for a good few months. And then I said to my wife, I really want to go on holiday to Hawaii girlfriend at the time. And she was like, really Hawaii? And I was like, well, yeah, we'd already been to Barbados and I, you know, had a little, try a surfing in Barbados, but it wasn't successful. It wasn't very successful. So we went out to Hawaii, kind of similar thing happened, you know, walked into local motion surf shop, saw a cool surfboard, bought a cool surfboard off the rack, paddled out at Pops in uh, Waikiki. And this older lady goes, hey man, you know, you're not going to catch any waves on that board. And I was like, really? Why? Like, you know, and she's like, it's just too small. You need a big long board out here. So I was like, yeah, whatever. Paddled out tried to catch a wave, couldn't catch a wave for loving her money. Came back in probably a half an hour later and there was a little shack right next door to the hotel I was staying in. And they had like these big 10 foot long boards. And I was like, give me one of them. Got one of them, went out. All of a sudden, boom, just started catching waves one after the other. And I was like, wow, this is it. This is, this is what it's all about. Went back in, said to my wife, let's go back to the surf shop. 
back to the surf shop, got myself a really nice longboard, which I still have today, and uh, surfed away on that. And then just was completely hooked from there on out, you know, just the, the feeling, the atmosphere, this whole new world was opening up to me. You know, surfing had never been a thing to me before, but just this whole new world had just completely opened up to me, started meeting loads of new people, loads of new friends, you know, kind of hanging around, having a reason to kind of hang around, you know, like I used to come back to Ireland when I was from working and not really having anything to do, you know, just kind of like sitting around, but you know, I didn't want to sit in London either because I'm just hanging around in London. So now all of a sudden I had, I had something to do that I really loved. I played a bit of golf and things like that, but you know, I had something that I really loved. So before I knew it, I was getting my teeth really stuck in. And then as the years rolled on, it's turned into like, you know, surf trips all the way to today, you know? Well, what kind of board was it that you bought in Waikiki, the longboard? Uh, it was a TNC. Oh, okay. TNC 91 um, Reposa, I think, was the shaper. Uh, okay. Yeah, really um, board. It, it, what's interesting to me about both of those experiences in Ireland and in Hawaii is that how friendly everybody was like that woman to paddle up to you and be like, just give you advice kindly. I mean, so many people talk about surfing as being, uh, uninviting, you know? And so both of your experiences seem to be warm and welcoming. Well, I think 20 years ago, you probably know this just as much as anybody else. 20 years ago was a lot different to what it is now. Right. Yeah. Years ago, there was a lot less people in the water trying to learn to surf. So I think, you know, people were very friendly, you know, and, and even even in my local village back home in Strand Hill, you know, people were very open arms. They were like, oh, hey, there's your man from Westlife. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you were oh, I'm just learning, you know, and they were like, what? Well, you know, people were 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 helping me out. You know, they weren't going to get out of the water coop, you know, right. which is what you'd probably get nowadays. Um, so I kind of felt definitely I started at a really good time in surfing, you know, like I started surfing in a, at a good time where people were still very open-minded and very, you know, enjoyed kind of like seeing somebody new and helping them out, you know, and I always try and do that now. Like I, I do spend a lot of time pushing my own kids into waves now, you know, I have a 12 year old and, and an eight year old who, who absolutely love it. My 12 year old is very confident now. So, you know, now I'm pushing my, my nine year or my eight year old into waves. So, you know, and I always see other little kids out there and I'm like, come on, let me get you a wave, you know, and, you know, I put them in the right spot and just give them a little push. And, you know, you just see the smile on their face again, you know, and and yeah. the the waves that that we kind of surf, they're, they're pretty crowded waves as well. So we're, we're either on the inside or, you know, depending on the day, just trying to just trying to get these kids into waves. It, it, it's a lot of fun, you know. Um, how has surf tourism developed since the exploitation of some of those Irish slabs? I mean, the, I yeah. actually looked I looked up waves where. um where you live and it looks epic, but I never really saw any of that stuff in magazines when I was growing up. Like Ireland just seemed totally off the surfing map until like Mulligmore and the big slabby waves really came onto the scene. So I'm just curious how, uh, how surfing has developed. It's interesting because, you know, obviously even listening to your, to your guys' podcasts and you mentioned Mulligmore every now and again, and you know, Nathan Florence being over there and all that type of stuff. Like, I mean, that's happening all the time now, but it seems to be more happening in the big wave world rather than the everyday wave world, if you like. Um, performance surfing, you know, we don't have contests or anything like that. You know, the WSL or any of them guys, they, they're not anywhere near Ireland. I, I remember way back when I first started surfing here in Whispers of the ASP, 
back then saying that they wanted to come to a place called Bundorn and hold a contest. But all the locals were super against it for that reason, exactly, you know, just overexposure. And for, but also I, I think like the cold water puts so many people off. Everybody's like, oh, it's cold. How could you surf in Ireland? You know, but let me tell you, when you're in Ireland, and I, I don't want to big it up too much, and you pull up and there's perfect waves, the last thing you're thinking about is the temperature of the water. Plus, wetsuit technology nowadays is so advanced that when you put a wetsuit on, you don't feel a thing. You really right. don't. I mean, okay, there's days where if you spend an hour and a half in the water and the wind is blowing hard, whether, you know, offshore winds blowing hard and the water is cold, for sure, after about an hour and a half, you're going to get cold, your feet are going to get numb, things like that. But again, you're like, well, just one more, just one more. You know, that, <laughs> that's that's kind of your mantra in your head. Oh, I'll just get that one last wave and, you know, then I'll go in, you know. But even even my 12-year-old son now, like, you know, for the last kind of like year or two, he's been kind of going, oh, it's awful cold in Ireland, daddy, you know. But Barbados is so much nicer. And But now he's like, oh, but the waves in Ireland, daddy, are so much better. And like, there's so much less people and, you know doesn't matter, you know, okay, we'll only surf for an hour. So, you know, he's starting to see the wood through the trees now as well. Yeah. So it's kind of like, but on saying that, you know, it's definitely grown a huge amount. I think COVID has grown surfing everywhere in the world dramatically. Uh, Ireland is is kind of no different in that way. But, you know, people are sticking with it. That's the one thing I will say. You know, a lot of people are sticking with it. I mean, our beach breaks are getting very crowded and very unorganized. And, you know, there's no kind of like, Again, Ireland is super friendly, so there's nobody out there going, hey, you're not supposed to be out here. You're supposed to be in there. Or, you know, everybody's kind of just like, all right, you know, just let him be. You know, it's very kind of relaxed in that manner. Um, and I, I've kind of noticed traveling around the world and being in different places, surfing in different places, it's not like that everywhere. Right. Um, so, so I think the Irish surfers are definitely uh, getting a, an easy ride in comparison. Do you, are there any... Um up-and-coming professional locals that whose names we should be aware of well i think the the guy who's kind of made the most noise from ireland across the scene is a guy called garage mcdade um okay. he'd be kind of in his 30s now or, or yeah just turning 30 um he he's been incredible you know he's kind of like was very much a contester for the first few years and then turned free surfer but you know um he's he's with rip curl so he's had mick fanning in and you know, Tom Curran was just in with him recently and they're kind of like hunting all the slabs around the country and stuff like that. Um, there's a few young kids that are that are really good rippers. Uh, there's a young kid called Joshua Carbis. He's about 13, 14. Now he'd be kind of, you know, chasing all the contests around Europe and stuff like that and doing really well. But um, yeah, there's I think there's not a huge amount of young kid surfers in Ireland. There's a huge amount of guys my age and kind of like maybe a few years younger. But I think... As the years roll on, we're going to see more and more and more because now you have all the dads teaching their kids. And I think I'm probably one of those first generation dads starting to teach kids how to surf in Ireland. Uh, whereas before, I don't really know there was, you know, it, it just didn't really seem to happen. It just kind of there seemed to be big gaps in age groups. You might have a little pod of groms coming up and then there wouldn't be any for a long time. Um, so I think it's becoming more consistent now. Plus, the internet, everything has changed, right? We all yeah. know that, like, you know, how, how we consume everything. It's changed so much. So I think people are starting to see it now as way more kind of accessible than it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, Connor McGuire's Irish, isn't he? He is indeed, yeah. So him and Garage would be very good friends. And okay. kind of, you know, 
they, they they pal around together all the time and they're chasing everything together. So so Connor and Garage, I would say Connor got that kind of like ginormous freak wave there. I think it was about a year ago or something like that now. Um, but yeah, so they they will be very much on par with each other. But there's a few other guys like that as well. You know, you know, I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but there's I think there's there's a few other guys kind of in that realm, kind of doing that type of thing. But it's all that really kind of heavy, slabby charging stuff. You know, it's not. It's not kind of like competition surfing, if you know what I mean. I do. Um, I'm curious why there's never been a big breakout star pro surfer from Ireland. Yeah. And I and I wonder if it's because um, nobody wants to leave. <laughs> like <laughs> Ma Maui has kind of had the same thing where Oahu yeah. generates all these like, you know, uh, they become world-class well-known surfers, but Maui's generated a bunch of people who kind of get right to the cusp of that and then decide they don't want to go around the world chasing waves. Yeah. They'd rather just stay home and surf great waves. Yeah. And so I think about, you know, there's been a couple guys like uh, Fergal Smith or whatever, who like definitely have the talent and they make a splash, but then opt to just stay home just because it's probably so yeah. beautiful and there's waves, you know? I suppose it's interesting in a way. I think a lot of, a lot of these guys nowadays as well are realizing that in order to kind of, go all the way like i mean what's all the way nowadays as well like you know to become a professional surfer you know what what's what's the pinnacle of that is it to be you know the next number one in the world you know like i don't know if there's a huge amount of money in that anymore no. you know so i think a lot of these guys are kind of seeing that and going well you know i'm better off being a free surfer living in ireland chasing the waves that i want to chase you know it, I, I think it's just because everything has changed so much as well, you know, that we're not seeing that, that hunger for like that chase to be the next world champ or whatever it may be. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there is money in being number one, but being number five and below there isn't, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it's that it's the haves and the have nots. So yeah, being able to do it on your own terms and get great waves throughout the year and the peak of your surfing prime is probably the priority. Yeah. Absolutely. Today's show was made possible with support from Rourke. Rourke makes essential travel tailored clothing and gear, artifacts of adventure. Each season, Rourke creates a collection of purpose built gear with styling details fit to accommodate needs from the trail to a night out on the town. Durable quality and comfort is the guiding light but with a commitment to sustainable fabrics and fair trade partners throughout every collection. They just opened a new store in Venice, California. If you're anywhere nearby, you should go check them out. And in fact, today's guest, Eden Saul, built a few boards specifically for that opening. I'm not sure if those boards are still available, but you don't see these boards on the shelf very often, so that would be an amazing opportunity to check them out if you're nearby. Everything else is available on Rourke.com. You can purchase confidently knowing that you'll have free 30-day returns and exchanges and that you'll also save 15% with our promo code SPLENDOR15. Rourke.com. Find something for men, women. They have an entire line of running gear, purposely built, durably constructed, sustainable fabrics and practices. Check it all out at Rourke.com. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. 
your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. As it relates to kind of your timeline of your music career and everything, um, what was behind the band's split in 2012? Um, yeah, I think that was just a point where like, you know, we were very young when we started. I was, I was 17 when we put it together. And by the time we hit 2012, you know, we'd been going for probably 13, 14 years. And I think we probably had just gotten to a point where we'd had enough, you know, we'd, we'd lived this kind of like fast paced life for, from a very young age, always on the road, always moving around, you know, kind of on the chase all the time you know, what's next, what's the next record, what's the next song, all, all of that type of thing, you know, we've done it for so long, I think it just kind of came to a point where we were coming to a natural end, where we kind of felt like, you know what, it's better to kind of just go, we've had an amazing career, let's leave it there, you know, 12 years, 13 years at the top, selling out concerts, let's not be one of these bands that kind of like fade away as time goes on, let's, let's actually finish on a high. 
And, uh, you know, we were still doing quite well at that point in our career. So it kind of felt like the right thing to do. Um, so we kind of like got to a point where we were like, you know what, let, let's just leave it. We put on a big, massive farewell tour. It was, a, it was a massively successful tour. I mean, it was hard. It was hard to accept. I think I was probably one of the only guys that was kind of pushing to go, boys, I think we're crazy here, but okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you all the way on it. Um, it. So it was definitely hard. I think it was definitely hard to kind of like accept that we were letting this thing go. I think in the back of my mind, I always kind of knew that we'd come back to it at some point. But again, whether we'd be coming back to it at the same level or whether we'd be coming back to it for a moment or for whatever, I didn't know. But I think as well, I had just had my first kid. So I was kind of, that was kind of keeping me going a little bit. I kind of felt in my mind, well, we've just had a baby. This is probably a good time to kind of like, you know, look at the next phase of life um, and kind of moving into that kind of maturity headspace as well. So, yeah, I think it, it was the right thing to do for sure. Looking back okay. on that because we all kind of like needed that break. And it wasn't until we were probably a year or two into the break that I actually went, actually, this, I'm really happy we did this because here I am, I'm back in Ireland, you know, living at home with my wife, my little boy, surfing as much as I wanted. You know, there was lots of times as well where I would be traveling around the world with my surfing magazine in my hand or, you know, whatever magazine I, I had, dreaming about just being at home in Ireland. And I remember plenty of times, there's a little airport where we live and there used to be a flight that would fly from Sligo to Dublin. And we used to take off on that flight every morning. And there was, there's a lovely right-hand point break that, that it flies over. I remember just looking out the window, looking down at all these guys in the water going, oh, I wish I was out there and not on this plane. So, you know, I definitely was starting to have that shift of not wanting to leave all the time and wanting to be home a bit more. But um, yeah, I, it, it was it was good timing. It was the right time. And I was glad we did it. And just being home and being able to surf for a few years and not really have to think about work and not really have to think about my next step in life, you know, and just just existing without without this kind of constraints of, what we had to do next. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, what was behind the reunion? And I mean, ultimately you guys reunited in 2018. So you had about six yeah. years there where you weren't obligated to do all the touring and everything. So what was behind the reunion? Um, what was behind it? I, what happened was myself and one of the other boys. So one of the other boys married my first cousin. So it give you an idea of how small, how small it all is where we grew up. So one of the other boys married my first cousin. So there was a, a big family reunion, like a, a 20 year family reunion. And uh, we were both there and we started kind of like having conversations about the idea, but not even, you know, a few drinks in stuff like that, started reminiscing and talking about the idea. And then he got up and sang a song and then I got up with him and sang a song. And then it was kind of like, oh, what's all this about? You know, we're kind of singing songs again all of a sudden. And then we had a little dinner, um, myself and himself and our two wives had a dinner and kind of started reminiscing about all the old times and stuff like that. And that kind of led into the conversation of, oh, do you think we'll ever do it again? Yeah, why wouldn't we? You know, it'd be silly not to. I just kind of started the ball rolling from there. And then, you know, it was Christmas time and a few invites started getting thrown around for a few Christmas drinks and stuff like that. And one of the other boys came along to that. And, you know, again, a few drinks in kind of, what do you think? You know, you think we should do it again? And, you know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be against that, you know? And 
it just the ball just started rolling and 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 off we went before we knew it we the four of us were sitting in a in a room together discussing a plan and a plot of how to come back when to come back all of that and before we knew it, we had a record out and on tour again it was just amazing yeah I, well, I think a lot of it it's so weird when I think about the story of Westlife and and everything that happened it just kind of feels like the stars were aligning for us bit by bit the whole way throughout our lives and you know I've no doubt we've been very lucky in, in everything that's happened in our lives but everything kind of felt like it was meant to be every time I look back on what happened in the past it's like well actually that was meant to be you know because otherwise this wouldn't have happened and that wouldn't have happened and you know we wouldn't be where we are today without it well the other detail uh, that I'm curious about is um there's not a lot of bands that just get along that well like the yeah. longevity has to be related to your guys enjoyment of one another I mean so many bands break up just because there's infighting you know yeah, sure so what do you attribute that longevity to Honestly, I think that just goes back to childhood friendship, being being friends from so young, you know, like Shane, one of my bandmates, like I met at 12, Mark, I met at 13, you know, and straight away we just became friends. And, you know, I think the fact that we all, you know, as the years rolled on, had the same idea and the same passion and the same want to make this thing happen, I think that had a huge impact. And like, don't get me wrong, there's been massive ups and downs, massive fallouts, massive bust ups. But I think, you know, the one thing that we've always managed to do is just to communicate, like, like just just get back in the room, just hash it out, you know, just say what you got to say. It doesn't matter. Just get it out. So it's more kind of like a brotherly kind of relationship, I would say, than anything else between us. Um, and, and that's worked. You know, I mean, when, when we did break up, there wasn't a huge amount of communication between us. We all went off and lived our own separate lives and did our own separate thing but when we were together it was very easy to be kind of yourself and you know not have to not have to think about what you were saying or act how you you know think about how you were acting you know and um you know we we party good together i think that's that's a big thing you know like if we go out and we have a few drinks after a gig like we have a lot of laughs and you know we all make each other laugh and we hang out together. I think that's a lot of bands that, that we saw kind of falling away as the years rolled on. It's because they just, they didn't hang out with each other. It, like they, they had battles of egos amongst yeah. themselves, you know? And, and totally. I think for us, our battle of egos is what somebody else was doing. It was like, well, how do we beat them? How do we okay. get, how do we get that? You know, it was more about our strive to, to get there rather than how do I get that off of him in my band? You know, I think that was, definitely had a had a good impact on us that we had that hunger to kind of like you know beat the other act or beat yeah. the other back right yeah that makes sense um one of the thing, one of the things that's happened since you guys reunited was covid obviously and the whole music yeah. model seems to have changed where your career is probably a lot more dependent upon touring now seems like you were probably always touring but now it's really dependent yeah. upon it is is that uh practical to sustain as you move forward for sure. I think like the music industry now has changed so dramatically uh, that touring is what it's all about. If it's not touring, you know, it's very difficult for for even for any new artist nowadays to kind of, you know, release a record and, and have success. There's lots of new artists having success with a song, you know, and having one big hit song, you know, on Spotify or, you know, TikTok is starting to kind of like make all these people become really successful with one song. But nobody has a clue who the artist is. And then the next song comes along and the next song comes along. So, you know, and 
as well, you know, we we come from an era where we made an album, where we put an album together and, you know, we put an album out and then we toured the album. Whereas nowadays it kind of, it's just changed so much that our kind of system, because we have our fan base from back then, we're kind of just repeating the same thing in, in a weird sense. You know, we're putting the album out, fans are enjoying the album. Sometimes like we might not even put an album out. We might just put two or three songs out and you know, that that's, that's the new music, you know, and then we will do a tour, but you know, we're going out on tour and the tour is really what it's all about. So, you know, going out on tour and people living through nostalgia in a weird way, you know, I think any, anybody of our, of our age, we kind of all listen to the music that we grew up listening to. We're not, well, I don't know, speaking for myself, but like, I'm not really listening to a lot of new music. I'm listening to all the music that I grew up listening to. So, you know, to go and see the band that are out playing that music now, that's, yeah, I'm there, you know, but I think as well, go see new acts as well, don't get me wrong, but um, it, it, the world of touring is very nostalgic now, and, and that seems to be working very well for us. Gotcha. Uh, what music do you listen to? What are you into? Well, yeah, like I said earlier, I kind of grew up listening to rock music, mainly. Um, a lot of guitar bands, kind of, you know, everything from Pearl Jam, Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Green Day. Um, all the way to The Doors, Elton John, Billy Joel, like, uh, who else? I mean, Jack Johnson, all, like, all that kind of, like, genre of music, kind of, like, pop rock, all of that type of stuff. I'm, I'm big into that. A bit of Coldplay nowadays. Um, and then I'm listening to all the stuff that my kids are listening to because they're, you know, they're the ones controlling Spotify nowadays in the car, not me. Uh, what are they so, listening to? Well, they're they're listening to all the kind of like Ed Sheeran stuff and okay. you know, kind of like all that kind of more modern pop music and stuff like that. I, my older boy's gotten mad into Coldplay at the minute, uh, and then my my middle guy Zeke, he's into he's into a lot of DJ stuff and a lot of beats and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm, mad variations coming through the car, you know. But good vibes, good good fun, you know. We're in the car and they're fighting over who gets to choose the next song, so it's it's always good from that perspective. Interesting. Um, tell me the story of how you met your wife. Um, yeah, so myself and Jody met, oh God, I'd say back in 1995. Um, wow. She was, yeah, she was signed to Simon Cowell as well. Uh, she was in a girl band, a band called Girl Thing. Sorry, 99, I've been corrected there in the background. Uh, <laughs> 1999. She was 15, not me. Um, so yeah, so she was signed, she was signed to a girl band called Girl Thing through Simon Cowell as well. And um we were Westlife were doing this show called Party in the Park in, in the UK, which is like a big kind of like summertime festival thing. And um she she walked through the room and, and Simon says, Oh, guys, I want you want you to meet my new girl band. And oh hi, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. And then Jody came along and I was like, Oh, hi, nice to meet you. And he he looked at me and he goes, no, 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 kiddo, not for you. And I was like, well, why not? And he was like, oh, no, she's not for you. She's only 15 or whatever he said at the time. And I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, I spent the rest of the day kind of like chatting to her and getting to know her and a little bit flirtatious and stuff like that. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I was like, she's only 15. I was 19. Um, so we kind of remained friends for a good three or four years. And then a few years later, uh, our band, she she ended up, so her band, kind of broke up after a year or two. And she ended up in a, in a TV show as an actress uh, called Hollyoaks. 
Um, so I messaged her and I said, listen, we're in town. We're playing a gig. Do you want to come down and see us? So she was like, oh, yeah, OK, great. So herself and her sister came down to see the gig. And uh, I brought her in backstage to say hi before we went on stage. And, you know, I'll never forget. She walked into the dressing room and I was just like, oh, OK, she's the one. And that was it. I kind of just kind of chased her for, for about six to eight weeks after that. And then I said to her, hey, listen, do you want to come on holidays? And we came out here to Barbados on holidays. And, you know, that was it. That was our story. Got married here five years later in Barbados as well. And uh, now we have three little boys. And, you know, it's it's Amazing. been a, it's been a real fairy tale kind of scenario. What was behind that moment where you just, what shifted? What did you know? Um, well, I think definitely... I have not, haven't not seen her for for maybe two or three years. The age difference, you know, she'd gone from being, you know, a teenage girl to like a woman. And, you know, the age difference was gone then. So when 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 I was like, oh, she's a woman. And she was obviously very hot, uh, which helped. Um, but yeah, and then just our personalities always kind of clicked really well. You know, she we'd always kind of had a, a lot of fun together and, and laughed a lot together and kind of like, you know, even if we were talking on the phone or a little text message here and there, it was always, it was always fun. It was never. So it was kind of like just a natural kind of, I get on really well with this girl. She was almost like one of the boys in a way. Mm. And even when I introduced her to my mates, it was like straight away, she was able to slot in as like, you know, one of the boys and be able to hang out and, you know, be part of the fun and part of the crack, as we would say. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very natural. It just kind of, it just kind of naturally flowed into us being together and me in the back of my brain going, yeah, this is the one. She's the one. Um, you're right. It's a fairy tale. Uh, the setup, certainly in the meeting and all that sort of stuff yeah. is fairy tale. But um, here we are. I think you guys got married in 2009, right? Yeah. So 15 yeah. years later, I guess, yeah. um, which is a successful marriage by anybody's measure nowadays. That's a significant amount of time. So what do you attribute the longevity of that relationship to? Give advice for any of us who are uh, starting off. Um, I don't know. I, I, to be honest, I think, I think we've just kind of like, we're right for each other. And I think that, that straight away, you know, like we were together five years before we got married. And I kind of always had that in the back of my brain that I wanted to to be with someone for a long time before I got married. Um, and I think we lived with each other for two or three years as well, which which massively helped. But again, just communication, just like talking it out, just kind of like, you know, being honest with each other and just kind of like, just, you know, if she's pissed off, she tells me. If I'm pissed off, I tell her, you know, like, you know, it's been plenty of times where, you know, I want to go surfing. And she's like, forget about it. You're not going surfing. Like, you know, we've got kids, mind the kid, you know, it's, and, and vice versa. You know, it's kind of like, just. It is true. It's not very often. She, she, um, I say no she says no to surfing, but yeah. But like at the same time, I, I do think it's very much just, just open relationships. You know, it's the same as the band. It's just like, just, I often find with people like, I'm a bit of a peacekeeper in, in everything that I do in life. Like if people are arguing or are getting hot headed with each other, I'm like, just fucking talk to each other. Like, you know, just sit down and yeah. chat to each other. Just like be honest with each other. There's no point in, in building up all these thoughts and feelings with each other. If you just let them out and, and give each other the side of the story and everybody has a little bit of give, you'll sort it out. You know, it's great advice. Um, 
people are afraid of confrontation sometimes. And then also if you're in a relationship, whether it's the band or the marriage or whatever, and you have the idea that an exit is an opportunity, like yeah. there's something that this person can do that would offend me so much that I'm out of here. Yeah. You're inevitably going to find yourself in a situation where you're going to take that option. So just having those exits shut down and be like, it's okay to fight. It's okay to argue, yeah. give each other a little bit of grace and you'll get over it at a certain point after you express yourself, you're fine again, you know? Absolutely. It's yeah. okay to disagree. You know, we all have opinions. Yeah. They all stink. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, does Jody have plans or aspirations to get back into her acting or music career as the kids become more independent? Um, I'm, I, I don't think so. I think at this stage in our lives, you know, we're very much a family orientated kind of unit. You know, it's all about kind of the kids and, you know, kind of bringing them up and, you know, kind of seeing what the, what road they're going to take and being able to kind of like help them on that road, whatever road it is that they want to take. And, you know, our lifestyle is, is pretty good at the minute. You know, I think like we spend four or five months a year in Barbados and then the rest of the time we're in Ireland, but we we're over and back to the UK a good bit as well. Cause she's originally from the UK. So, you know, I, I think right now it's more about kind of like the family unit and, and kind of like just keeping the lifestyle going that we have. And, you know, like she helps me out an awful lot with the band stuff, with Westlife stuff as well, you know, and kind of she's in the background kind of like helping me with all that type of thing as well. So I think what we have going works really, really well for us. And um, I think, you know, if the right opportunity came up for Jody, I'm sure she'd jump at it, you know, like, but it's not something that she's out chasing, you know, gotcha. if she got made an offer to do something that she really loves or something that she's really passionate about, I think she'd definitely go for it. But yeah, she's definitely not chasing it. Um, what do your kids want to do? Have they expressed any real inclinations towards anything? Well, our 12 year old is kind of going through, I want to be a professional surfer to a professional basketball player, to a musician, to a, I don't really know what I want to do, daddy, you know, our dad now, not daddy anymore. You know, so I think in that way, like the, the eight year old wants to be a DJ. That, that's his thing at the minute. You know, he's, I'm going to be a DJ. And then um, our six-year-old, he wants to be in a band with his older brothers. But, you know, at the same time, we're kind of feeding all these little thoughts into their heads, right? You know, yeah. I think I think you see a lot of, you see a lot of dads kind of like, and, and moms and dads, you know, they kind of always try and push their kids in what they know. And in a weird way, we know what we know, which is music and the entertainment world and you know, I see a lot of dads out out here in Barbados in particular, you know, they're kind of big into surfing. So their kids are really big into surfing and they're ripping and they're shredding and doing airs and, you know, all that type of stuff. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, but that's what their dads know. That's why they're so good. They're on it all day, every day. They know how to video it and critique it. And, you know, we, we did that for a little bit, but it wasn't it wasn't naturally us. So I think we kind of just stick to our lane and do know what we know. But, you know, we let them decide, I think, we're definitely the type of parents that that look at it and go, well, they need to be pushed. You know, kids need to be pushed. You you give a kid nowadays will sit on an iPhone or an iPad for 12 hours a day and eat sugar if that's what you let them do. So, you know, we're, we're the opposite of that. We're like, we got rid of the iPads a few months ago completely. And, you know, the kind of Nintendo switches kind of come in every now and again, but generally speaking, we're like, no, get in there, practice your piano, practice your guitar, go for a surf, play your basketball. What is it that you want to do? What are you into? Go and do that. You know, get up off your ass. Yeah. As we would say. Well, there's also parents who um, come from the music or entertainment industry who steer their kids away from it. 
Yeah. Just because they've had bad experiences in it, you know, or, or there's, there's um, a lot of access to vice and stuff in those worlds. You know, it's kind of weird because when you say that, I understand what you, what you mean by that. But at the same time, I kind of look at it and go, well, we've had good experiences. We haven't Mm -hmm. had any negative experiences. So, you know, and luckily none of those vices have ever come into our world and, you know, they haven't really been around us. So we, we never really got involved in that. Yeah, we've had parties and probably drink a little too much here and there, but um, that would be kind of the extent of it for us. Yeah. Um, so we've been lucky in that sense. Um, again, looking back on it all, we've seen lots of that go on around us, but it's just never really been part of our world. It's, it's kind of odd, isn't it? Like, you know, I look at it and go, well, if they choose that that's what they want to do, then we'll help them. If they choose that's not what that's not for them, so be it, you know, it's not our choice. You know, my parents, same way, I kind of had the same kind of attitude. My parents kind of had the same attitude where it was like, well, no, work hard at what it is that you want to do. So it's more about teaching kind of like a work ethic than anything else, you know, work hard at what it is that you want to do and you'll get there. To what level, who knows? But if that's what you want to do, off you go and do it. It's a great point because ultimately I think with a proper upbringing, your kid can navigate whatever world they end up in. So if they are in entertainment, there is access to vice that they wouldn't have otherwise. They know how to steer away from it or around it, you know? Yeah. Listen, it's in every world, right? You know, it's it's yeah. there. It's out there. That's the world we live in nowadays. So yeah, if, if that's what they want to get their hands on, I'm sure they'll do it somehow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, um, what surf media do you follow nowadays? Um, I listen to all your podcasts, which which are awesome, by the way, I have to say. Uh, Thanks. Well done and all of that. I know you've been chipping away at it for a very long time, but um, Stab Magazine, I like Stab Magazine. I subscribe to them. Surfer's Journal, uh, I subscribe to that. Um, WSL, for all its faults. I know you guys give it a hard time, which I agree with a lot of the things you say, but I still enjoy it. I still, still enjoy the, the platform. I still enjoy professional surfing. I think it was probably the thing that really got me into surfing was, you know, having the WSL or the ASP back then. So I follow that a bit. Um, you know, and then the kids are into Jamie O'Brien and Kyle Lenny and all that type of stuff on, on, on YouTube and Nathan Florence, you know, John, John. So, you know, that's on all the time. They come in and that's their go-to kind of stuff on the TV um, that and basketball, but from a surfing perspective, that's what they're into. So yeah, a Carve magazine back in the UK, I make sure I buy that because you know it's the last magazine that we have left. When I first started surfing back in Ireland, there was there was even two Irish surfing magazines, you know, and obviously they're gone by the wayside now. So so I, I still support Carve magazine. I buy that every month or every two months now it comes out. So yeah, and you know, all the Instagram stuff, you know, I, I follow a lot of surfing stuff on Instagram. I think it's probably the thing that I follow the most is is surfing on Instagram. Realwatersports.com is your one-stop shop for any and all of your water sport needs. They are even where you can go to fantasize, plot, and plan your next surfboard acquisition. They're partnered with preeminent surf vlogger, Brett Barley. As their team rider, Brett has helped them expand their surfboard review videos, taking their board testing videos a step beyond their competent but humble staff reviews and putting these boards into heaving tubes and spinning them through full rotation airs. 
and then getting back on land to discuss the ins and outs of design and construction of many of the boards in their 1500 board inventory. It's an incredible series that they do. That inventory, by the way, is ever shifting with updated models and even new manufacturers that are being introduced into their board loft regularly. So learn about boards through their surfboard video reviews, engage their staff in anything. They are tightly in communication with their board builders and can guide you well beyond what is available on their website. For all of your water sport needs, go check out realwatersports.com. Veyerwatches.com. Practical, timeless, durable, debonair. They will never distract your focus or waste your time by sending you a notification or a text message, but they will reliably deliver precisely an essential piece of information that you need every single day, time. And it does it reliably indefinitely because they use the best quality materials. Sapphire crystal, surgical grade steel, premium movements, and they're assembled in the USA. The watches come with a two-year warranty and they're guaranteed waterproof. And wearing it just adds a certain level of pride and confidence because it looks great, feels great, classic designs, but from a smaller hip brand that I just simply feel proud to support. I've been wearing the 38 millimeter dive watch this past year in and out of the water. It's actually solar powered. There's a little solar cell under the dial that powers the watch for six months with only six hours of light. It's incredible. The perfect daily watch, veyerwatches.com. Veyer is spelled V-A-E-R, veyerwatches.com, subtle beauty, quiet confidence, veyerwatches.com. In regard to Irish kind of uh, industry, are there any, are there many board builders in Ireland? There is actually, yeah, there's there's quite a few now. Um, there's one guy close by us, uh, there's two guys close by us, Wax On Surfboards and Graham Doolan, Doolan Designs. They're kind of like two local shapers. Uh, you know, a lot of, and a lot of the local guys are surfing their boards. Um, there's a few, there's one guy down in the Hinch, Luke Surfboards. There's a few guys up in, up in Bundorn and Donegal. They're kind of like starting, I forget the name of that guy, but he, he's just kind of started. So there's a few, you know, but I think the same, as I said earlier on, the access to surfboards for us now is really easy. Like, you know, there's so much stuff coming in from Europe, you know, Euroglass, all these big, these kind of like big kind of like board shapers that are, that are making boards for Lost and for all these different brands that are coming out of America. Uh, so we have we have real good access to surfboards. Like I compare it to Barbados, like they really struggle here in Barbados for access to surfboards. But, uh, and I, I kind of always look at it and go, wow, like it's so easy for us over in Europe to just get our hands on whatever board we want within two days. It's in your right. it's in your doorstep, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, I'm glad to hear about those local board builders. Um, I was talking to Stephen Bell a while ago, and he was saying that he was running a truck up to Ireland every few months. Um, yeah. I didn't, and I think it was he was delivering finished boards, but he was also delivering blanks. Thanks. So that must have been who he was delivering to. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm sure there's way more than the guys that I just mentioned as well. But yeah, I mean, Stephen Bell, he's from Euroglass, right? He does the Euroglass stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I actually think I was on on one of his shipments recently. I got one mm. of his, boards. but um, uh, I got a lovely. Uh, a board called a one bad egg, which is a, a great surfboard. It's kind of like the CI mid, but slightly different. But um, that 
that came out of Euroglass as well. Um, Pips is the shaper there, Mark Pips. But yeah, so we get we get a lot of boards, but there is definitely board shapers coming up in Ireland and kind of like Good. you know pushing through. Good, I like to see that. Um, who's surfing do you admire nowadays? Well, all the big guys like you know John John obviously is still is still top of the pile for me when I when I watch what he does and you know he's just he's incredible. Um, I have to mention a few of the Barbados guys. Josh Burke is a, is an amazing surfer here from Barbados. Um, I'd be good family friends with them guys, and um, you know I suppose you know all the pro surfers. You know I'm watching them all the time, but I think between John John Josh. Uh, Kyle, what Kyle Lenny does is incredible. I mean, he's just, he's a madman. And Nathan Florence as well. He's a madman. Um, but yeah, all the kind of everyday professional surfers, I, I definitely like all the stuff that they're at. Um, it's hard for me to think of them off the top of my head. but Josh Burke is a great call out because his name doesn't get mentioned enough, but every time I see him surf, I'm like yeah. blown away. He's as good as any other junior coming up right now. Yeah, he really is. And you know, it, it's only a matter of time before he gets his kind of break. I feel like he's had a bit of bad luck in the last few years. You know, he's chasing the kind of the challenger series and, you know, it, it's, it's tough to see them guys and, and what they have to do to try and push through, you know, they're really, they really have to slog it to kind of push through and, and to try and get into that top 40 nowadays. And there's so much competition out there and there's so much talent out there now as well. You know, it's, it's definitely difficult for them. And there's so much variable in the contest format and structure that yeah. it's kind of beyond your control. Even if you are the most prepared, the best surfer, you can still lose round one. Absolutely. And, so. I, you know, I've watched Josh a few times kind of like go into heats and bowing out in round one and you're like, oh man. And I know I've been here and he's flown, you know, two days to get to that contest and straight away round one and he's out and just, you know, you feel heart wrench for him because you know, you're, you're standing here on the beach watching them surf here, soup bowl or wherever it may be. And it's just, it's awe-inspiring, you know, like as good as what Kelly is like when Kelly is here surfing, you know, like Josh is out there. If even better than Kelly nowadays, you know? Um, so it, it definitely is kind of like magic to see that happening. And then to see them go out and, and just have their heart kind of like torn out of them like that. It's, it's such a tough industry. It really is. Yeah. I'm glad that there's more avenues and options now for guys like that to pursue and make a living off of it. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious as you age, <laughs> how has your diet and exercise changed or are you doing anything to kind of uh, manage it? Yeah. Well, last year I definitely kind of let it all go a little bit, you know, <laughs> out on tour, living in hotels, you know, drinking probably a little bit too much after the gigs, stuff like that, you know, timeline you know being jet lagged as well you kind of find yourself after the gig just going to a restaurant that'll stay open for you in the hotel and it's like all right yeah come on let's have a few drinks and before you know it you're there it's five o'clock in the morning and you know seven o'clock at home so now you're you know you're kind of back into the right not seven o'clock but eleven o'clock at home so you're kind of back into the right time zone uh so that definitely had took its toll on me last year and i by the time i hit kind of like october november i probably put on like 12 12 pounds or so so I kind of started hitting the gym knowing I was coming back out here for, for late December. I started hitting the gym and started shedding the weight. And I've, I've stuck on that routine since, you know, I've kind of been in the gym a good bit and just kind of like training a good bit. Plus I'm getting to surf here every day, uh, which helps a lot because, you know, surfing is, is a great calorie burner, as I'm sure you know. 
Um, so just getting my fitness level back up and just being back at that and changing my diet. You know, just cutting out all the crap, cutting out, cutting out the crisps and the junk and the, you know, the bread and the pasta and the rice. Just it's and it's not that hard to do once you get into a rhythm of it. You know, you, you don't even want it. You don't even think about it after a while. So um, yeah, no, I've, I've been on a good path. It's more of a case of how long can I stay on it before I fall off of it again. But I'm determined right. to make it a lifestyle rather than a than a moment in time this time around, you know. Um, you can get away with it doing it a moment in time when you're younger, but yeah, I'm yeah, I'm like I'm 43 now as well. And it's like, yeah, you uh it needs to be a lifestyle ultimately. Uh recovery yeah. times take a lot longer when you have those bad nights or drink yeah. too much or whatever. Um, what about oh, I, uh, I, listen? I'm flat on my back for a day after a night drinking nowadays. It's like forget about it. So nowadays that slowed down dramatically as well. And it's not worth it anymore. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not the night out isn't as fun as it used to be. And then the recovery okay. takes so long. And I'd rather spend that recovery day surfing or doing something active. Absolutely. So it's just not even worth it. What about I um if I if I put myself in that situation, I kick myself bad. I'm like, never again. Yeah, exactly. Do you have you had to incorporate any um stretching or yoga or anything like that as you get older? I've tried. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. You know, I think that's the one thing that's kind of I know is letting my surfing down a lot is just the fact that my flexibility isn't isn't that great. But um, and I have tried and my wife is really good at yoga. She actually done a yoga teaching course there a few years ago during COVID. And she's tried with me as well. I, I do incorporate stretching in, into my workout at the end now, but it's more like a five minute stretch rather than it should be a 20 minute stretch. Um, and I'm properly stretching for what I do, but I definitely have slowly gotten better at it and slowly become a little bit more flexible. So I think that's definitely a big, a big, big, big thing for me this year is to kind of work on my flexibility and, and get that going. I think at, at our age, it's what's going to, what's going to be the difference between whether I'm surfing in 20 years or not. You know, if I keep yeah. it, whatever about the fitness, I just feel like the flexibility, you know, or the sore lower back or whatever it may be, you know, just that all comes from the same thing, you know, a good core and flexibility. And hopefully I'll still be able to do it in 20 years. Yeah, I fully agree with you. That's where my head is at. And the way that that translates in my surfing is, I think, reaction time. Yeah. You know, if I'm not fully limber and stretched and uh, resilient in that way, I'm just like a little bit slower to my feet. I'm a little bit yeah. slower to respond off the bottom or off the top. I'll hit it, like do a turn and the fins might set free a little bit and I'll just eat it at that point. Whereas I used to be able to kind of respond in a minute and recover and kind of come out yeah. of it. So in those moments when I fail in the water, it's real motivation to then do the hard yards on land to not be in that position again. Absolutely, absolutely. And like, you know, I don't know if I ever got to the point where I was putting the fins out the back of the wave, but at the same time, you know, I, I definitely feel like the more I'm doing it, the easier it is. And the hardest part for surfing for me is going away from it and coming back to it. I yeah. mean, it, it's so difficult if I've been away from it for a few months and then come back, it takes me a good month or two to kind of like get back to where I may have been at. But now I feel like in the next year or so, I definitely have the time to be able to do that. And I have the time to be able to push myself and, you know, put myself into more critical waves as well. Like, I mean, here in Barbados, we have Supol and it's such an amazing wave, you know, and even there just before Christmas, we had probably like five days of it being super glassy, which is really unusual for this time of the year. Normally it's onshore and mush. 
but this year it was super glassy and just getting out there and getting the feeling for that you know i think when you get one or two good waves under your belt your brain just automatically goes oh, okay yeah now this this is giving me the fire to to get home and do the stretching and 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 go for it the next day you know and sit deeper and try and find the barrel and try and get in there and doesn't matter if you get smashed you're fine you know yeah that whole kind of headspace definitely comes with doing all the other stuff if you're not doing the other stuff you're not going to get that headspace i find you know totally whose boards are you riding while you're down there um i have a christensen it's a, a board called a surfer rose i surf that quite a lot which is yeah. which is a it's a, like a six old kind of like thruster and then i have the one bad egg that i just mentioned a few minutes ago um then i have a, a, a one or two long boards here as well and i kind of mix up my boards are boards are a disaster because i just kind of feel like you know the marketing of surfboards is so good nowadays they're just always telling you this this board is going to make you such a better surfer and you know sometimes i fall into that category but i i do go back you know i was surfing a few of the slater design boards for a while and they were going really good for me actually you know i was on a cymatic for a while that was going really good but then i found when i went away from surfing to come back to that i was finding it quite difficult um i have a a handshape Bob McTavish that I got from Bob um, that I absolutely love. He's actually making me another one as well. I, I actually spent, uh, I did a bull trip with Bob McTavish out in the Maldives a few years ago, which was, which was epic. Um, did you just happen to be on the trip with him or did you schedule it together? Uh, well, so he, he, he had a trip running every few years oh. uh, where you go on a boat and, and you'd buy a spot on the boat. So, so I did that one year. Uh, and the reason why I kind of went for his is because I, I didn't want to be going out to somewhere like the Maldives and be with a bunch of like 18 year old rippers who were like just chasing like heavy barrels all the time. Or and, and I know the Maldives doesn't get that heavy now that I've been there a few times. But so I kind of like got onto this like travel company and I was like, you know, I want to I, I want to do something that's not so kind of like full on and I don't want to be chasing like crazy waves. So they suggested the Bob McTavish trip. So I went out in that, and that was an amazing experience, I have to say. Um, he's such a gentleman. He was so, so warm and so kind of like every day at the end of the surf, he'd sit down for dinner with everybody and, you know, tell stories of of his of his history and his past and, you know, give tips one-on-one and talk surfboards and explain surfboards. You know, he was just so knowledgeable and just kind of like so easy to pass that knowledge on. And, you know, it was He's actually stopped doing them now because I'm devastated that he stopped doing them because um, I've really looked at it and gone, oh, I'd love to do another one. But uh, I see Barton Lynch is doing them now, so I might do one with him. Yeah, that that's right. Well, Shane the- Dorian was doing them with his kid as well for a while uh, with Jackson, but they've kind of stopped doing it as well, I think. I was hoping to bring my little boy on that one just to kind of, for inspiration, you know, just kind of see all of that. So, um, But yeah, so I've got a Bob McTavish as well, and he shaped me a new one at the minute, so that that's kind of probably going to end up being more like wall art than anything else. And you one that he shapes. What's amazing about surfing is that our early pioneers like McTavish are yeah. not only still active in terms of they'll build you a board, but they're still surfing and you can go surfing yeah. with them and have these yeah, experiences. You know, it's like the, the sport is that young and board building is that young that we still have access to these guys. Absolutely. And to see Bob surf as well at his age, I was, I was blown away. Like, you know, he was, he was out there in a longboard most days, but he was still managing to find a barrel. He was still managing to kind of go for it, you know, catching more waves than anybody else. Just, just the natural ability was just, you know, it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, probably 60 years worth of surfing. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. it's crazy. It's inspirational, actually. For sure. Absolutely. Um, well, in closing, what's next for Westlife or your personal music life? Uh, well, we've actually got our first ever North America tour coming up in March. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I think it's like it's been weird for us with America because we never broke into America. Uh, it kind of, we kind of got caught up in this whole kind of record label thing with, with Clive Davis. I'm sure you've heard of Clive Davis. We signed Clive Davis in America and he put out our first record and we were doing really well and it was going really, really strong for us. But then he got let go from the record label that he was with. He was with RCA Records at the time. I'm not exactly sure the history as to why he got let go, but he got let go. And the only artist, I, I remember watching this documentary years later about it. The only artist he was able to take with him was Whitney Houston. So he took Whitney Houston and he went off and he started up a new record label. And while he was doing that, we, we stayed in RCA. He put his own boy band together and he took two of our songs, two Westlife songs and gave them to this band and released those songs. And they became very successful. They're a band called Old Town. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Yeah, I watched that documentary too. Yeah. So, so we should have been the Old Town in America, but it never happened anyways. So we left America alone. We kind of, you know, Simon Cowell was our main record label boss. And he was like, look, guys, just, just forget about it. Just leave America alone. We'll go back at it in a few years. We've got so much success in the rest of the world. Let's just keep hammering at that. So we did that for a few years. We went back to America then a few years later. And, you know, we put a record out to all the radio stations around the country. We had a big record label push again, you know, shot a new music video, all of that type of stuff. And all the radio stations were loving the tune. It was a song called World of Our Own. They were loving the tune. They were getting back in the label going, oh, this is such an amazing song. You know, this is definitely a hit. Who is it? And they were like, oh, it's this band called Westlife. And they were like, oh, no, no, we're not playing any more boy bands. We're done with that era of music, you know, because by then... Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, 98 Degrees, Old Town, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, all these kind of like pop acts. That's all it was for probably six to eight years in America. So America were just kind of, I think that the industry had just kind of gone, okay, it's time for a shift. And they started playing more like Maroon 5 and all these types of bands. So we kind of got caught there. You know, we kind of missed our chance. So we left America alone and that was fine. We were happy with it. But then... As the years rolled on, up until last year, our manager said, well, look, you know, why don't we just put on a theater tour and, and see how it goes? You know, put on a few shows in the kind of like Irish American states and see how they go. So we were like, all right, let's try it. So we put on the shows um, and they all sold out within minutes. We were, we, were, we were blown away. You know, the agent was kind of saying, oh, we could have done more, but we didn't leave ourselves enough time to do more. So uh, we got Radio City in New York, which is an iconic iconic venue that we're going to be playing in March. And again, it all built around Patrick's Day, St. Patrick's Day, because they kind of thought, well, look, if we build it around St. Patrick's Day, it's very Irish, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, they've all sold out. We've got three shows in Canada, Boston, New York, and Chicago. Um, so that's going to be a great little run. Then we go down to South America. We've got a few shows in Mexico and Brazil. And then we take a break for a little while. We may have another China tour coming up in May. And then that kind of ends this tour that we're doing right now, which we call the Wild Dreams Tour, which was the last record that we put out. And I think we kind of see maybe a bit of a break coming for us for maybe a year or two. And then uh, we'll kind of gear up for our 25th anniversary in 2025, believe it or not. So, yeah. And, Crazy. you know, out we go again, hopefully, and do another world tour and, you know, 
in America, they're talking about pushing this into, into bigger venues next time around. So hopefully Madison Square Garden will be on the cards for us. That would be a box ticking moment. Amazing. Um, yeah. S still growing after all still these growing. years. This tour in particular, uh, and we, we were just discussing this on our way home for Christmas, has been the most successful tour we've ever had. We've done 130, 140 shows so far around the world. You know, wow. I think about a million and a half, 1.6 million people. And by the time we finish, we might we might scratch the 1.8 million people on bums on seats, which is definitely going to be the biggest tour we've ever done. Well, congratulations. Um, people yeah. definitely love you. And when I mentioned just to Scott on Spit that we had met at the boardroom show, I just yeah. kind of mentioned it in passing. I got a bunch of DMs and emails from people and they're like, dude, you got to interview him. We would love to hear that. So which, when you said that to me, uh, you know, when we were chatting, I was like, really? Yeah. Uh, in the surfing world, I was, I was quite taken back. But I was like, all right, you know, I mean, I'm all for it. And, you know, I, I think like in the surfing world, I've always kind of like just seen it as a hobby and stuff like that, you know, and obviously listening to your show, everybody that you interview, I know you had uh, Chris from the Foo Fighters on at one point as well, but like, you know, there's, it's all really surfing orientated. So I've always kind of, when you asked me, I was like, wow, okay, yeah, that's a bit of an honor, you know, to, well, to be asked to do it, so. It's because they're fans of yours, like they, and even a lot of them are Americans who are messaging me. Yeah, right. So you you definitely have a fan base here for sure. Yeah, it's weird. It's mad. It's, but, it's but cool, man. Sent in that message. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time to do this. Um, I know your kids are getting off school in a few minutes here, so I'll let you get back to them. But I really yeah, appreciate you taking the time. Much appreciated, Dave. It's been lovely talking to you, man. Yeah, you too. Um, Studying up for this interview too made me want to plan a trip to Ireland. So if that ever comes to fruition, I'm going to definitely hit you up. Absolutely, man. Anytime. I always say best time of year to come September, October, kind of hurricane season. You know, the hurricanes move up through the Atlantic, light up our West Coast, and it's warmer. You know, you're still being a three mil wetsuit, but it's warmer and the waves are always good. You know, generally speaking, it's winds are good that time of year as well. Yeah. I've, I did a trip there probably when I was 20 years old with my parents, but oh, I didn't. Okay. So I've been there and I loved it, but I didn't do any surfing. And then um, my wife actually lived outside of London for a little over a year. Okay. And she's been wanting to go back and do a UK trip. So I feel like now we have a couple of reasons. Yeah. Well, they're too close to not go back, to not kind of come across, you know, you're only talking about a a 50 minute flight to get to where we live you know there's a yeah. great little airport actually by us called knock airport that flies into london every day three or four flights a day and then 40 minutes later you're at the coastline it's it's been absolutely a savior for us amazing okay cool we'll start looking at what that looks like all right well thank you so much for doing this again kian Hello, man. thanks so much it's been a pleasure all right thanks talk to you soon Take care. Bye. Bye. Kean is on Instagram at Kean Egan. 
And of course, I've linked to that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. We also have a video of this conversation, which you can find on YouTube and then on our Instagram at surfsplendor, which is a great way to share this show with friends. Uh, you know how to share stuff on Instagram. It's super simple. Also, feel free to leave a comment there for Kian. Uh, I presume he'll see that. And of course, just commenting and engaging on Instagram helps kind of push us through the algorithm and helps other people find the show. I'm sure Kian has a ton of fans outside of the surf world who would still find this conversation interesting. So let's try to get this conversation to them. I thank you for all of your support in every way. One of the ways that you can support us is through a $5 monthly contribution. You can set that up on surfsplendorpodcast.com. You probably heard our conversation earlier this month with Ryan Lynch of Timber Surf Co. Well, we're going to give away one of those surfboards, one of his Timber Co. surfboards, incredible boards, uh, constructed sustainably. He has a mission to kind of eradicate resin from surfboard production, or at least for his boards, the way that they're produced. And they're really cool. So check that all out on timbersurfco.com or go back and listen to that episode. And then we're going to give that surfboard away on February 1st to one of our supporters. We pull a name at random among all of the supporters. If you've been supporting our show for any length of time, you will be included. But if you want to get in on this for the first time, just set up that support before February 1st. We will pick that winner. And then we're actually going to give away another surfboard in February and in every month of 2024. It's our way to say thank you for the support and a way to kind of highlight board builders who we love. So that's the foundation of our work. That's how we are here 10 years later. So thank you for that. I am grateful to do this work, grateful to connect with people like Kian. And uh, thanks. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I'll be back here next week with an all new episode. Until then, though, go grab an episode of Spit. Go grab an episode of The Grit. And until next week, get back into the ocean, share a couple of waves and shred on.